Thank you for tuning in to Far Better, where we look to be pleasing to God in this life, so our eternity is far better. I'm your host, Michael Clark, and as always in our show notes are our social media links and other means of contacting us. If you have an episode idea or a comment that you'd like to make, feel free to email us with that, and we will get back with you. Today we're going to talk about the idea of victory, and I guess when you and I talk about the greatest victories, a lot might come to mind. For me, I, as you might have heard already, am a big sports fan, and so I think of some of the greatest sports victories that have ever taken place. One of them took place in 1993 in the AFC wild card game in the NFL. Both starting quarterback Jim Kelly and running back Thurman Thomas for the Buffalo Bills were out with injuries. And in the second half, the Buffalo Bills were down by 32 points, four touchdowns, extra points, and a field goal. There was a major spirit drain in the stadium that day as many Buffalo fans left in droves. But guess what happened? They came back and won the game. And it was touted as one of the greatest comebacks in NFL history, especially up until that point. You might remember the year of 1971, or maybe you've heard about what happened if you don't remember the year, of Marshall University when a plane crash killed the entire varsity squad and coaching staff. There were suggestions by some to just do away with the whole football program. Let's just quit while we're ahead. Let's just stop. But a new team was cobbled together from the few players who hadn't been on the flight, junior varsity players and new recruits. The new field goal kicker was a soccer player who didn't even watch football games prior to this. And then when you look at the record, Marshall had an all-time record of 5-12 and against Xavier. And with just seconds left on the clock, they were down by four points. And yet Marshall won. Marshall didn't go on to win the national championship that year, but for that moment, it was the greatest victory that that team could have had and needed. But then there's another one that comes to mind. 1966, the NCAA basketball championship was between the Kentucky Wildcats and the Texas Western Miners. You a Texas Western Miner fan? Maybe you are. But on March 19, 1966, this game took place, and the Texas Western coach, Don Haskins, made this incredible decision early in the season to have a roster of entirely black players. And in the title game, the contrast was stark because Kentucky, just like any other team, was made of entirely white players, as well as every other SEC team at the time. But guess what happened? The Texas Western Miners defeated, probably, even to this day, one of the best powerhouses in basketball that there is in Kentucky. And the following season, the SEC integrated their teams. Those are just a few 
amazing victories from the human perspective that we have seen in our lifetime. Obviously, we could spend the whole episode talking about those things, but we're not going to. I want you to think about who has given us the greatest victory that we could possibly have. That's Jesus Christ. You see, I have been given an opportunity to succeed because of Christ and to make it into heaven because of Christ. But what did he give us victory over? That's really what this week's episodes are going to talk about, what we have gained the victory over. And so for this first episode, and by the way, we do have five episodes this week. It's a little bit different than normal. But for our first episode, I want us to consider victory over fear. Victory over fear. In 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, you have John writing, and he gives us a couple of things that we need to consider. And the first thing that we need to consider is that we've got to love each other. And he begins that in verse 10 all the way until verse 12 by saying things along the lines of, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent us his son to be the propitiation of our sins. And if God so loved us, we've also got to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. This is something that is incredible because it's the second point. Godly love gets rid of fear. There is no fear in love, 1 John 4.18. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. There is no fear in love. This fear is not what we would think of as awe or respect, but it's terror or dread. It's the characteristic of a slave in the presence of a cruel and heartless master. But perfect love casts out that type of fear. And then one of the greatest passages that we have is verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. You know, it's incredible to me when we study these verses, we always want to quote verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. But we often forget about the verses that follow. And the verses that follow give some of the best New Testament teachings that we could possibly have about our treatment of one another and the ways that we're supposed to help and love and care for one another. You know, one of the things that is so impressive about verse 20 is someone says, I love God, but hates his brother. Well, he's a liar. How can that be possible? Because if he can't love his brother who he has seen, how could he possibly love God who he's never seen? How can he possibly believe that he has some type of love and affection and care for Jesus Christ and for God if he hates his own brother who he's seen in the flesh? So what I'm supposed to do then and what you're supposed to do is look at upon looking upon someone else, I should say, and loving them 
even though it's not easy, even though it's difficult. This commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. But, Michael, you don't understand. I don't get along with my brother and sister. I didn't either. I mean, look, brothers and sisters don't always get along. Am I really to take away from that that because a brother and sister don't get along that they hate each other? That can't always be the case because brothers and sisters fight. And when I study the parallel of the family of God being likened to the family that we have, look at what is shown in verse 20. If someone says, I love God but hates his brother, he's a liar because he can't love God who he hasn't seen if he hates who he's seen. Now, when I study the family, I understand that there are brothers and sisters. If a family is blessed to have multiple children then I can also understand and really grasp something. Brothers and sisters aren't perfect. They fight. They don't get along all the time. They don't spend every waking moment with one another. They don't have all the time in the world with each other at times. Sometimes they get on each other's nerves. But that brother and sister are still supposed to love one another. Jesus is not asking us, John is not telling us to never have a disagreement, to never have a moment where we don't see eye to eye or we don't come down on the same side of the field, so long as it's not doctrinally, of course. But what John is saying is, you know how your brother and sister, you love them, You've got to treat each other that way. You can't have a love for God and not love your brother or love your sister. So what's the point of this? How many of us know of someone that we don't really get along well with? Well, we've got to. We've got to love them. But you have to remember that this perfect love gets rid of fear. Fear in what regard? If it casts out fear, you have this idea of it continuing to cast out. It's a strong picture showing the vigor with which it is excluded. Fear involves this torment, right? That's what the text says. The anticipation of the punishment expected in the future is torment in the present. Did you ever know when you were a kid that you were going to get in trouble when you got home? Oh, that, that was horrible, wasn't it? Absolutely horrible. And all day you probably stewed about what was going to happen when you would go home. Fear is a sign that he considers someone worthy of punishment because it's the punishments that is in prospect instills fear. Plato, apparently, is the one that said that. Fear is a sign that someone considers himself worthy of punishment because it is punishment that instills fear. We should not be afraid of the end of the world if we're ready to meet our Jesus. I don't have to have fear of, really, of anything, of the things that happen in this life. And the, the Bible even says, don't fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill both body and soul. 
God has more power than any man on this earth. Why should I be afraid of what you can do to me or of what I could do to you? We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be fearful. But the person who, in turn, according to these next few verses, doesn't show the right type of love for the family of God is a liar. Can't possibly love the Lord. Because if I fail in the easiest task of someone that I can see and I don't love them, again, how, how can I really truly know that I love God who I've never seen? What causes you to fear? What makes you afraid? I can tell you a lot of things that scare me. I think all of us have things that are frightening and, and not pleasant to consider. Someone might say, well, I'm afraid of spiders or snakes or all of the creepy crawling things that are on the earth. I have a deathly fear of such and such or whatever you want to put. Why are we afraid of those things? What's the reasoning? Well, because for some reason, what we've learned instills this fear in us. If someone were afraid of spiders, it's more than likely that they're afraid of the kind of spider that's poisonous, but that fear of a poisonous spider trickles all the way down to even a non-venomous one, at least one that wouldn't hurt the human body. If someone's afraid of snakes, again, it's probably because they're afraid of a poisonous snake, and that fear trickles all the way down to even something that won't bite. I'm afraid of the judgment. I'm pretty positive that everyone should be afraid of the judgment if we are standing before God unprepared. But I don't have to fear the judgment if I stand before God as a clean born-again Christian. It won't matter what is said or what is done because I know the result is I'm going to heaven. What can someone say against me if I serve the Lord? What can someone say against you if you serve the Lord? Why do we have to fear this life? Some people would say that I'm afraid of death. You don't have to be. We'll talk about that in an episode in just a few moments. You don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of anything because Jesus Christ has given us victory over fear. And in what way? With the godly love that he showed to us. My life and your life is far better because fear doesn't have to be a part of my life anymore. But will I take that understanding and live like it? Or will I continue to live in fear. The choice is up to me and it's up to you. We make the decisions for our lives and for ourselves. I want to thank you for tuning in to Far Better for this episode. And as always, don't forget to send us a comment or an email if you have a question. And we'll be discussing in our next episode, Victory Over This World. But until then... I hope we please God now, so our eternity is far better.